Hi, I'm Jessica Mackin, the editor of The Independent Newspaper, and this is Indie Voices. Here we will share community news, interviews, and panel discussions with community leaders. Topics will include local arts and culture, environmental issues, real estate, and anything else that is on the minds of the East End community. Indie Voices celebrates everything East End. In this episode, we hear from Michael Ogden, who explains the history and value of water, how it's being polluted, and the choices we can make to improve the quality of water. Michael is introduced here by CNN anchor Don Lemon. This episode was previously recorded at the Independence Waterviews Festival on June 6, 2019 at Guildhall in East Hampton. So I would like to introduce now our series of, these are what we call our mini talks, okay? Uh, for what, from water experts across a variety of industries. They're gonna speak on topics that range uh, from how best we can address water pollution to how water can affect our health and the health of the environment as well. So first up, let's welcome to the stage, everyone, Michael Ogden. Michael Ogden is the founder of the Natural Systems International. Uh, Michael has been involved in engineering design and project management of over 600 water infrastructure projects. That's a lot. 600 water infrastructure projects using natural treatment systems for the treatment of wastewater, stormwater, and septage, right? Uh, Michael is responsible for designing and permitting the first total reuse systems in New Mexico, Nevada, New Jersey, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and Mexico. Michael Ogden, everyone. You're going to stay here? I'm going to walk. You're going to walk. You can have that. Uh, my New York City hat, fifth generation New Yorker. I left at age four and lived in New Mexico. There's no water there. And I have appreciation ever since. But I did come out and fish uh, with my uncles who take me out to Montauk for flounder fishing. And this is my second home, really. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you very much to, to uh, Anna and Chapman Perlman Foundation and to the rest of the folks here that are part of my story. So basically, what I want to do is, is apologies here to Stephen Hawking, I want to do a, a brief history of water to start off in the beginning. You know, 14 billion years ago, there was a big burst of energy, and very quickly, within one second, we had the initial parts of, of the proton for the hydrogen atom, and within the first 370,000 years, we had the first four elements. And stars were beginning to form very quickly early on. And in those stars, we formed carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen. And they detected in that early, early universe the first molecules of water. Been around for a long time. It's still out there in space. The amazing story is that when new supernovas began to form, what happens is that we produce the rest of the elements, which makes our solar systems planet Earth, early days, that's the, the uh, moon colliding, and the very famous picture, the blue planet. If my generation did anything of value, this is the picture, okay? What we, what we provided for everybody was this view. Buckminster Fuller said anybody born after this would be totally changed. People of my generation still don't quite get it. So the challenge for us is to recognize 
the value of water. I mean, just get down to the basics here because we've talked about the bigger problem, but look, your brain needs, is 83% water. It's one of the reasons you need to drink clean water. What happens if you're drinking polluted water to your brain? What would you guess happens? This is an extraordinary island. I mean, those of you who live here probably don't have this, this, quite this perspective, but the satellites do. If you look at this incredible green island surrounded by the ocean, you realize it is a true paradise, and it certainly was to the first people that came here. What I suppose that most of you all know that it was formed by the Ice Age about 26 million years ago, 26,000 years ago, sorry. That was the extent of the ice sheet. You can see where it formed a uh, Long Island. And then they say it was a mile high. Ice, water, frozen water was forming this, this land that you live on. Here's the structure of the moraines uh, that were left as the Ice Age. And you can see how it went all the way up to Cape Cod. This was the debris of the, from the Canadian Shield scraped all the way off the earth and ended up here to make this wonderful place that you live on. This is a topographic map. I love these kinds of things because they show, you know, this is the, this is the remnant of the glacier. It's an extraordinary place. You, you, to be able to see this, you need to get outside and walk around, and I don't know how many people have done that, but it is a remarkable place. What makes it so special is this qualities right here, this aquifer and this last deposits of glacial material that collect the rainwater. That water, rainwater, is lighter than seawater and it floats on top. So there's a lens of fresh water here that provides all of the drinking water that everybody needs on Long Island. This is interesting because the rest of the state of New York has rivers. New York City has the watershed in the Catskills. Everybody here depends upon that aquifer and the rain that falls into it. All right? <clears throat> it turns out there's enough rainfall out where we are here. All you need is 2,000 square feet of roof, and you can collect all of the water you need for all of the uses inside a house with four people. Just think about that. That's a rare condition. Uh, I've lived in many places where the rainfall, annual rainfall, is less than four inches. So you're blessed with lots of water, and that's why everybody showed up. This is population growth. Why are they coming? It's because there's lots of water and lots of greenery, and it's beautiful. We got waters and lakes and ponds. Why not move out of the city? Well, something happened, as you've heard from other speakers, is we got some problems with the beaches, the algae blooms, red tides. We know why they're happening. And this is, this is a graphic picture. Basically, what we did was build our houses, 360,000 of them now, that are basically flushing their toilets into the drinking water. And that's literally what's happening. Now, these septic tanks and leach fields were very popular. They go back to about 1860 for the septic tanks. They were simple to build, and all we needed was sandy soil, ideally, for the water to drain uh, below, and so we didn't have to worry about it. Out of sight, out of mind. Well, if we have the ideal conditions here. We got sandy soil left over from those glaciers. 
So the kinds of things that go in there are real interesting. Have you ever looked at what you wash down the sink or what you drink? Ammonia and nitrates, those are, those are forms of ammonia that are a part of the natural decay of organic material within ourselves. And we're basically going back to the DNA. The antibiotics, uh, many of us are taking medications. What do we do with the leftover? So, I mean, I just show this. This is just one of many thousands of things that are part of our chemical cabinet that we have in the homes. I mean, how many of you are using any of these things here? Where does it all go? Okay. Antibiotics. We're developing microbial populations that are resistant in the ground, resistant to the antibiotics. Bleach. Wonderful disinfectant. Disinfectant. What does it do? It kills bacteria. It kills the bacteria that are in the soil that would help break down the organic compounds that we put into the water. Miracle Grow. Fertilizer. Why do we need to put that on our lawns? Why do we need to use Miracle Grow at all? Did fine before we showed up, right? It's wonderful forest here. Water treatment systems. Using sodium chloride as ion exchange resins. That's salt. We're putting salt water back into our clear, fresh water. That's what the Romans did to Carthage to destroy the civilization. They salted the earth. Okay, how about any of the following? You know, we just heard about plastics. These are all plastics that we wear that, uh, in some cases, high fashion, that's about $2,700 for that coat. When they're washed or manufactured, the very fine microparticles that Cyril was talking about show up in the water, in the washing machines. Where does it go from there? We're responsible for these, these choices. And when it comes from the septic tank and we talk about what's going down the city streets every time it rains, remember four feet of rain every year on our streets. What is in the rainwater when we wash the streets? So all of the things that come from our automobiles, for example, just starters, uh, grease, oil, um, the... the, the uh, antifreeze that's in the radiators, all of those things end up in the city streets. And this is, uh, this is another, any of those people who've gone out into the beaches and done the cleanup, this is the kind of stuff that washes out into the ocean as the result of stormwater runoff. Just look at the kind of stuff that's there, how much of it's plastic. Look at plastic all the way up to the very top, cigarette filters. Incredible that um, we've tried to convince people to give up smoking. Well, here's really one very good reason to continue that effort. And the microplastics, you know, the unintended consequences. And this is some photo micrographs of, of the plastics. And I look at it and, and just think of 46 years of doing this work. How did we do this? How did it happen? What was, what were, we're thinking, my generation doing all these wonderful things with all kinds of stuff. How did it happen? One of the things we're trying to do is, and have done since the Clean Water Act was passed in 1972, is we're trying to do these large sewer systems. And this is a, this is a the new one here in the county. Well, it's actually pretty old, but they've upgraded it. But look, 
it, doesn't, it only has a secondary level of permit. Basically, the permit system in the United States is a permit to pollute. Realistically, that's what it is. And what we've said is so many kilograms of pollution per day can go into the water. And we're only really regulating a very few things. Some of the stuff, it depends upon where you are. California, where I live now, is very advanced, and we do a lot of things like mercury levels, for example, in the San Francisco Bay. Well, mercury pollution comes as a result of being downwind from China. You have the same problem here. Mercury falls out of your rain because you're downwind from the coal-fired power plants in Ohio, Indiana, West Virginia. We don't regulate it. We're not worried about it. California, we're worried about it. And it's so great that if you drink water from the Hetch Hetchy Reservoir, which is snowpack, you'll, you'll exceed the mercury permit. Why are we regulating mercury in California? Because it ends up in the fish. So the salmon fishery is affected. We can't eat it, OK? We don't have the ability or the money to change this right now. But it's something to think about. That needs, in California, we regulate the nitrogen, so an ocean discharge has to go down to 0.5 milligrams per liter. This has zero right now, and that's where that number comes from. It's about 6,000 kilograms a day going into the ocean. Now, it's two miles offshore, but it's warm water relative to the ocean. Where do we think that ends up? All right, Suffolk County. This is where we're at today, all right? <clears throat> There's 171 of them, which are doing pretty good. Nitrogen is less than 10, which is a drinking water standard. That's great. But there's still so many pounds, kilograms, if you will, of nitrogen going into the offshore waters. And that's what uh, Gobler and, and uh, Stewart were talking about. These are the things that we have to come to terms with. And I'm going to suggest some solutions for it. The third big thing is the kind of events that are happening with superstorms and rising sea levels. This is an amazing phenomenon. You know, when I started my, my career many, many years ago now, we weren't talking about stuff like this. We had no idea what we Well, there was kind of intimations of it. Stuart Brand started the whole Earth Catalog, and I was very fortunate in 1981 to hear Jim Lovelock and Lynn Margulis talk about the guy hypothesis. But they were, they were, told that they were thought of as cranks by the scientific community. Now we understand that the Earth is a, is, a, is a whole system, and all these parts are connected. So we need to pay attention. So the, the summary of concerns is that I put them in. This is after reading all the literature and talking to the people. This is my second time here doing this. Is I, would, I just put these three here. Now, if you were doing your own list, and I said, OK, folks, make a list. What would you put up there? I'm just going to start with this and say, OK, Three things, that's enough to deal with. How are we going to do it? Joseph Campbell is, a, is a, somebody I'm very impressed with. And I love this. You know, the world's a mess. It's always been a mess. We have to remember that anybody that reads history recognizes that in New York City, those folks that were shoveling horse manure around had a different kind of pollution problem before the automobile, right? And we're not going to change it. That's realistically what his story is. It's going to be a different mess in the next 20 or 30 years. We're taking care of a garden. Those of you who are gardeners recognize that it's a changing seasonal thing. It changes over time. And we have to recognize that. 
And the base, the base point I'd like to suggest is start with our own lives. So I look at, okay, what am I wearing? Do I have any plastic on? No. I thought about that a long time ago and said, no, I don't want to wear plastic. But I, sp I flew all the way across uh, the country to get here for this talk, and so my carbon footprint for this looks awful. So, all right, we're not perfect, but where do we start? Okay, the first thing is real easy. Just stop using the amount of water that we use right now. Just cut down on the amount. Take a close look at the products. We can all do that. Everybody here reads what's in the stuff, the products that you're using. That's an individual responsibility. We don't need Dr. Gobler to tell us, don't use plastics. We don't need that. We don't need people to tell us not to use Chemlon. We know better. So what are we looking at? Do we have time to pay attention? Bleach, soaps with microplastic, you know, the cosmetic business in Europe is regulated, highly regulated, what you can put in it, but in the U.S. it's not. So you can have microplastics in your makeup because it helps polish the skin. That was the reason it was putting there. Somebody thought, oh, it's a good idea. Fertilizers, water softeners, pesticides, herbicides. It's, a, it's amazing. I mean, Rachel Carson in 1956 told us something about pesticides, but we're still using them. Single-use plastics, cups. When was the last time you went to Starbucks? Did, did you bring your own cup? So we can point, I can, I can, I'm guilty of all of those things, except herbicides and pesticides, <laughs> and plastics probably for clothes. Well, all right, so the social science, this is an important part for me as an engineer, because this is, in my education, I was math, physics, and chemistry for, for seven years, and uh, came around to biology later through mentorship by somebody like John Todd and other wonderful people that wait, opened up this world to me, that there was other possibilities. And social scientists have addressed the issue that's most important for me, which is how do we bring about change? How do we get everybody in Suffolk County to, to get on board for these common sense ideas that we, we know about? How do we get the rest of the world to do it? Well, I can't give you, if I gave you that big list, those three concerns, ocean warming, what are you going to do about ocean warming and, and sea rise? How do you deal with something like that? I can't, and, and supposedly I'm trained to do stuff like that. Well, I can't. And so what they're telling us, which makes sense to me, is you deal with small steps, okay? Just take it easy. I got to go faster. All right, so I'm going to take you through the small steps one, use less water. Get involved. Volunteer programs. Go out on the beach and pick up stuff. Stop using this stuff. Neighborhood solutions. Action at the town hall level. This is a great community for that. Small diameter collection systems, which we have begun to use now. I made a big story about this when I was last time here. These directional boring systems don't require trenching. Very easy way to get stuff done. I like these kinds of natural systems for, uh, because they're easy to build. They're self-regulating. Sand filters have been around for over 100 years, very easy to use. There are 360 style, might take 7.9 billion, it's too big, but let's break it down and just do a small portion at a time, all right? And we can get it down, my belief, and this is in the devil's in the details, but we could get this down so each homeowner was paying $50, $48 a month, okay? We have reduced the billion dollar problem of 48, 50 cents a month because it's at the individual level. We don't need to deal with it at a much bigger level. 
So it's just quick examples. These are all totally reused projects all over the world. Many of New York. It's been done here already. Um, I, I want to see, see the biologist take, take a first level on this because the engineers, we, we were focused on the machines, okay? And machines break. Biology will keep going if we take care of it. So complexity, hey, the other way is just give it up, right? Just put one of these in your home. <laughs> Solutions begin at the home. Sorry, we can make our own wetlands, rain gardens. Uh, uh, Edwin is going to talk about them. Hey, what about just taking the water off the roof of the buildings and reusing the inside? This is common in California now. What about rethinking the medians for stormwater management? Hey, it's part of the gardens. Okay, rush at the last, but this, to me, is again the image we need to keep and to recognize that this very, very, very small portion, you're blessed with it here, just recognize the blessing, take care of the garden. Michael, thank you so much. We appreciate that. Thank you for listening and for tuning in to today's episode. If you've enjoyed, please comment, share, or subscribe. You can also check out our website, indieastend.com slash indievoices.